0: I think that when it comes to the Lord, one thing he's just been teaching me of lately is how little we know. (laughs) You know? A lot of times we can think, we're like, man, we we got it all figured out. We know exactly how God works and exactly how he's going to work. And God reminds us, like, that we know so little. You know? And I love that with the Lord because, you know, the way the Lord works works in such a way that the Bible says his ways are past finding out, they're past finding out, they're beyond finding out, you know, that there's not so much things that, and I think sometimes we're trying to figure out God, and it's not always worked like that, his ways are past finding out, they're beyond finding out, and I just wanted to share with you guys just a little bit about full surrender, because really knowing God's plan for your life, and seeing him fulfill his plan for your life, that's what it starts with, It starts with full surrender. It starts with being fully and completely surrendered. And full surrender, it doesn't mean that you've sold everything and given it to the poor. That's not what being fully surrendered is. You know, being fully surrendered doesn't mean that you've sold all your, your possessions and you're moving to China or Africa to go be a missionary. Like, that's not what full surrender is. You know, full surrender, very simple. the yeah. talked about how the church is not an institution, and how the church, Jesus said what? He said, I will build my church. He wasn't talking about a building. What was he talking about? He was talking about a gathering of people. He was talking about a group of people. See, the church isn't an institution. The church is a group of people. It's a gathering of people that are in Christ, and God's desire for this group of people we saw is what? It's the Great Commission, And I love so much because God gave them this mission, but he also gave them everything they needed to do it. He gave them this great mission. He gave them this huge challenge. He said, go into the world, the world that is going to be hostile against me, the world that is not going to necessarily always receive you, the world that is not going to necessarily accept you. He said, go into that very same world and make disciples. And go and make disciples, preach the gospel. And I love it because he gave them everything they needed to do it. He gave them the power of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we talked about how the baptism of the Holy Spirit is it's being immersed in the Holy Spirit. It's not like when you go to a swimming pool or the lake and you just dip your toe in, right? It's like if you go and you cannonball into the lake, into the water. You go and you just dive in head first and you are just drenched and immersed. He said, hey, he said, you need that, but with the Holy Spirit, not with water, with the Holy Spirit. And the effects of that baptism of the Holy Spirit is what? It's the power to do mighty works for God. And we talked about how not every mighty work is a healing or a miracle. We talked about how we all have different gifts, right? Some people have the gift of miracles. I wish I did, but I don't. Some people have the gift of healings. I wish I did, but I don't. Some people have the gift of evangelism. Some people have the gift of teaching. Some people have all different gifts and I love it so much because the Bible says that the Holy Spirit, he gives gifts as he wills. He gives gifts as he wills as he however he wants to use your life. He gives you those gifts. See, the effects of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the power to do mighty works for God, to be used by God wherever he's placed you. We talked about how if you want to be used by God powerfully, seek the power of the Holy Spirit. And seek the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't send these guys off to seminary. He said what? He said stay put and wait until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, Then you're going to be witnesses. You're going to have everything you need to be used by me when you have the power of the Holy Spirit. Talk about how it's the power to be a witness, right? Many times we can struggle sharing our faith. We can struggle. It's like, well, where do I even start or where do I even say or how do I say it? And how Jesus said he didn't say, hey, go learn the best method for sharing your faith. What did he say? He said, wait for the power of the Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll be that witness. You'll have that power. We talked about simple obedience and how simple obedience, it goes a long way with God. And simple obedience is what? Jesus said, hey, go and wait for me in Jerusalem. And what did they do? They went and they waited in (laughs) Jerusalem. Simple obedience. There wasn't, well, God, you know, I know you said wait in Jerusalem, but is it okay if I, you know, go here first and then go to Jerusalem? Like, what? you know, I mean, is there wiggle room here? And a lot of times we look for loopholes with God, right? We're like, God, if I could just, you know, maybe, uh, you know, if I know you said this, but Lord, what about this? You know, I have a better idea. I have a better plan. And often... It's just simple obedience is what God wants. We talked about how there are seasons and years in my life where all God wants us to do is to just wait for him to move. That's it. He just wants us to wait. He doesn't want us to do anything. He doesn't want us to try and fix the problems on our own. He just wants us to wait for him to move. We talked about what do we do in those seasons of waiting. Just simple. We obey, we pray, and then we wait i obeying. God, am I obeying and doing what you've called me to do? Okay, Lord, I am. God, am I praying and asking you to fulfill your promises in my life, to fulfill your will? Okay, I am. So now what am I going to do? I'm going to wait for you to move. I'm going to wait for you to do it, Lord. I'm going to wait for your perfect time. In Acts 2, we look now and we see the coming of the Holy Spirit. We see that what they had been waiting for, that that promise, that power of the Holy Spirit, that now it has arrived. And we see what does that look like? And depending on what church you go to, that might look different. You go to some churches, right, and you see how they, you know, interpret what the Holy Spirit looks like. And you leave and you're like, man, this is kind of very different, very, you know, unique, acquired taste, Right? And then you go to some churches and you wonder, you're like, man, do they even believe in the Holy Spirit? There's like, there's no life. And the Holy Spirit, really, when you look at what the Bible says, you see in Acts 2, it shows what the Bible says the baptism, the coming of the Holy Spirit, the working of God, what it looks like. The title of my message this morning is. Holy Spirit or hype, and I titled that because of this: is there's so many people, I think, that are chasing hype, that are chasing experiences, and the question that I, I want us to ask ourselves this morning is: Do you want the Holy Spirit, and do you want a true and genuine work of God in your life in power, or do you want an imitation? Do you want really a genuine work of the Holy Spirit in your life, or do you want something that looks like it and maybe creates a little bit of buzz a little bit of energy in your life but it doesn't do anything there's no power there the bible talks about how there's a whole generation they have a form of godliness but there's no power there's nothing behind it i don't know about you guys i want a genuine work of god in my life I look at my life and I'm like, Lord, this is a mess. (laughs) What did we get ourselves into, Lord? I got all these issues all over the place in my life. Lord, I need a genuine work of your spirit to just move in my life because I can't do it. And do you want a genuine work of the Holy Spirit or do you want an imitation? And so we look at it as we read chapter 2, verse 1. Notice what he says. He says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come. They were all in one accord in one place. About 120 of them, they were waiting for the Holy Spirit to come upon the church. You okay? (laughs) I figured it was. I I was like, you know what? It must be. It must be powerful work of the Spirit. Powerful work of the Spirit. And it says that when they were all with one accord in one place, about 120 of them, it says, and suddenly there came from a sound from heaven of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then they appeared to them, divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak, <clears throat> in other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance and it's interesting because it says when the day of Pentecost had fully come and we talked about what the day of Pentecost was, it was one of the Jewish feasts at that time they had different feasts that they would celebrate, That the Jews would refer to this as the Feast of Weeks And it was 50 days after the Passover. So the Passover, you remember when Moses brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, uh, they literally, God said, hey, I want you to take a lamb. I want you to slay it. And it's not popular for the animal lovers up here in Portland. But he said, I want you to take the lamb. You're going to shed its blood. It's a picture of how without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. There's no doing away of sins. The penalty for sin, the wages of sin. He said, I want you to take it and I want you to put some of the blood on the doorpost. And what's going to happen is is at night, the angel of death is going to go through the land. And when he sees the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, he's going to pass over. it." It's an Old Testament picture of how Christ, by the shedding of Christ's blood, listen, we don't have to face the penalty for our sins. We don't have to face the wages for our sins. You saw that 50 days after the Passover took place, there was the Feast of Weeks, which is what this was, the Pentecost. When you look at the day Jesus died, he died on the Passover. 50 days later, the baptism of the Holy Spirit would come interesting because at the Passover feast, what they would do is they would offer the first fruits of their grain. They would take one sheep, right? There were farmers back then really, really good at it too. They would go and when it was harvest time, they would take that first sheep, that first bundle and they would, it would be a wave offering unto the Lord. And that was what they would do during Passover. And then 50 days later on the Feast of Pentecost, they would offer two loaves as a wave offering. Not just the raw grain, but they would take it, they would bake it, they would put leaven in it, it would be loaves, And it's this picture you have in Passover, really, when they're just waving that sheath of of raw wheat. It's a picture of really the first fruits uh, being that Christ raised from the dead, really the first fruits of life after death. And then when you come to Pentecost fifty days later and you see the birth of the church, it's a symbol of those two loaves being offered up, Jews and Gentiles both being offered up. It's this picture. It's the symbolism. And it's interesting because a lot of people will say, Well, the Bible's full of contradictions, and the Bible has all these things, and how can you know, you know, that it's all you know put together and this, that, and the other? I mean, you look at some of the symbolism, there's no way you could plan this out. You have something that was written in the book of Exodus, which was written a very, very, very long time ago and fulfilled in symbolism and in pictures of the New Testament. You can't make these things up. You can't make these things up. And it says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, that they were all in one accord, they were all in one place. And then suddenly there came a sound from heaven. As of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting, they began speaking with tongues, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Really, looking at the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's important to understand a couple things, is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, listen, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not the same as being born again of the Holy Spirit, it's two different things. And being born again of the Holy Spirit, that's when you receive Christ in your life. You ask Christ to come into your life, and you're born again of the Holy Spirit. You're made new. You're regenerated. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is when the Holy Spirit comes upon you in power. He empowers you. He enables you to serve Him. There's three phrases that describe our relationship with the Holy Spirit, and it's three phrases in It comes from John chapter 14, verses 15 through 18. And it says, if you love me, keep my commandments and I will pray the father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. And he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. That first phrase where he says the Holy Spirit, he dwells with you. It's this Greek word para, and it means beside you. It means that the Holy Spirit is alongside of you. And it's a picture of how before you came to Christ, the Holy Spirit was there with you. And he was convicting you of sin. And he was pointing you to Christ. And he was showing you the need for salvation. He was the one who... Putting it in your heart to go to church, he was the one who kept putting it in your heart to seek the Lord. He was the one who kept uh, bringing people into your path. He was alongside you. He was with you. And then Jesus says, "He says, for He dwells with you, and He will be in you." Now, when you're born again of the Spirit, it's Christ in you. It's the Holy Spirit in you. Now you're born again. The Bible says the Holy Spirit. He's like that seal. What that was was in that time when they would be sending cargo from one destination to another, they would put their stamp of approval on it, they would put their seal on it, and when it would arrive at its destination and they would open the box and they would see that there was that seal, they would know, hey, this belongs to this specific person because it's his seal, and it's that same picture of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that when you receive Christ, when the Holy Spirit comes inside of you, when you're born again of the Spirit, You're sealed of the Spirit. It's like that seal. It's like that stamp of approval that God's saying, Hey, this is mine. This is mine. This is my child. It's that stamp of approval. It's that seal. And then when you look in Acts 1-8, that final preposition where it says the Holy Spirit will come upon you. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. It's that Greek word epi, it's a different uh, different preposition, and it means to over or upon, and it's when the Holy Spirit comes upon you in power. See, it's a different experience than just being born again of the Holy Spirit. Man, you see this in Acts chapter 8, Philip goes to Samaria, right? He's in the church of Jerusalem at this time, total revival was happening. God calls him and says, hey, I want you to go to Samaria, which Jews didn't like Samarians, but he went anyway. He felt called to go. So he goes to Samaria. He arrives in Samaria and he starts preaching the gospel. And right away as he's preaching the gospel, people start getting saved. And there's a revival starts taking place. People start getting saved. Shortly after that, it says that they sent the they. it says this in, ver- in Acts 8 verse 14 through 17. Now when the apostles were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So Philip goes there, all these people are believing, all these people are getting saved, but none of them had been baptized with the Holy Spirit yet. None of them had the Holy Spirit come upon them, so what did they do? The apostles, they sent Peter and John, and they said, hey, they said, go to Samaria and lay hands on these people that they could receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Two separate experiences. See, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and it's important to know that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is something that you and me, we can have every single day. It's not a one and done thing. I used to think it was like that. I used to think it was something where it's like, okay, I'm baptized with the Holy Spirit. I'm never going to sin anymore. I'm never going to struggle with sin. I'm never going to have any more battles. I'm never going to have any more fights. I used to think it was like that, but it's not. The Bible says, "Ask and ye shall receive." And when you ask, if you ask, it's just like a dad, right? When you ask your parent for something, they're not gonna. If you ask them for a, a bread, they're not gonna give you a stone, right? If you ask them for McDonald's, they're, they're not gonna take you to the, you know, they're not gonna. I don't know. They're not gonna. Yeah, they're not gonna take you to the auto parts store and give you like motor oil. They're gonna. They're gonna. They're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna give you what you ask. And Jesus said it's the same thing with the Holy Spirit. He said, when you ask the Father, what do you do? He gives you the Holy Spirit. And he gives the Holy Spirit, listen, freely. And he gives the Holy Spirit liberally. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, that's something that each of us can have. Now, The baptism of the Holy Spirit is something that each of us can have. And all we need to do is ask. Now what's interesting is you never see them ask for the baptism of the Holy Spirit again after this. Here they're waiting for the Holy Spirit, they're waiting the Holy Spirit comes upon them. After that, you see the Holy Spirit moving, working, leading, directing. You see in chapter 4 they're praying, they're asking for boldness. The Holy Spirit comes upon them. There was always that fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit when they needed. They didn't have to pray and stay up all night and wait for the Holy Spirit anymore. The Holy Spirit had been given and now it was very simple. You ask and you receive. And it's that baptism of the Holy Spirit. I love it so much because one of the things you do see here is you see that they model this very, very, very important thing and that is waiting for the Holy Spirit to move. You know, they were waiting Ten days from the time that Jesus ascended to the time that the Holy Spirit was poured out was 10 days. And they were waiting during that time for the Holy Spirit to move. And I think that that's one of the things that's been lost in the church. I think that's one of the things that's been lost is we've lost that art of waiting on God to move. Man, churches today are trying to create powerful experiences rather than waiting for the Holy Spirit to move in power. Now, a lot of churches are trying to create Holy Spirit experiences. Now, I'm not going to get up here and do the Holy Spirit activate dance, but you guys know you guys know what that's all about. Elaborate. Demonstrate. But it's true, right? A lot of churches today, they're trying to create these powerful experiences, and it's like, man, we can just create it. I remember seeing an article a while back where a fog machine had went out during service, and the worship leader, you know, got up and he said, you know, he said, I can't believe that happened. He said, I take full responsibility. He said, I'm never going to let the Holy Spirit down like that again. You know, sometimes I think we can think like, man, we have to just create this powerful experience rather than waiting for a genuine move of the Holy Spirit. See, the disciples, they model something here. They model waiting for a move of God in your life, waiting for the Holy Spirit to move. Man, seeing God move, I I think sometimes I, I think we can get this so mixed up. Listen, there are many powerful experiences that you can have that will move you emotionally, that will get you hyped up, or that will make you feel like you have had a deep experience with God. There are so many different experiences you can have, but often those experiences are missing the Holy Spirit. Now, there's many emotional experiences you can have. And it's hard to tell sometimes because how do you know the difference between a true, genuine move of the Holy Spirit when God really does a a, a deep work, a a, a solid work? How do you tell the difference between that and just an emotional experience or a powerful experience? And sometimes it's hard to tell because often when the Holy Spirit moves, there's emotion. Now, when God really touches your life, there's sometimes where you're just broken. There's emotion there. There's times when God moves and you can feel something, sometimes in our prayer meetings. And God shows up. And you can just feel the presence of the Holy Spirit there. You can feel the presence of God there. And it can be hard to tell. And how do you tell between if it's a, just a genuine work of God or if it's just an emotional experience? How do you know? How do you know Now, one of the most tangible times where I just really felt God, I'll never forget. It It was a Sunday night service over at Golden Springs, and I remember the pastor got up, and it was our assistant pastor, Pastor Dale, gave an amazing message. It really touched my own heart, and I remember at the very end, he said this. He said, you know, he said, if you want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he said, if you want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he said, I want you to stand up. He said, and I'm gonna pray. He said, I want you to come forward. He said, and I'm gonna pray, and I'm gonna ask the Holy Spirit to come upon you. And I remember I stayed, I did what everyone did. I said, Oh, I can't get up, <laughs> I stayed in my seat. Everyone was up, running to the front, and I'm over there in my seat, just like, no, nah, you know, I'm in leadership. Like, I can't go to the front, you know, I get prayed over. You can't do that. And I remember I told the Lord, I said, at the end I felt so convicted. And I'm like, you know what, Lord, I'm so sorry. I'm like, I should have gone up. And I remember I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, I said, listen, I said, I do want a fresh baptism of your Holy Spirit. And I remember as he prayed and asked the Holy Spirit to fall, I felt, I might even kidding you, I felt the most powerful move of God I've ever felt. I just felt the Holy Spirit come upon me. I can't explain it. It was this peace. Many of you guys have experienced that. And there's been times where you're in the car and you're just praying and worshiping and it's like the Holy Spirit falls upon you. And you can be in a church service and you're worshiping and it's like the Holy Spirit falls upon you. Man, and we want that. I love that. I love that. Man, when you can feel God working in your life, it's amazing. But it's not always like and how do you know the difference between if it's really a genuine work of God or if it's an emotional experience? How do you know the difference? Listen, an emotional experience will satisfy part of your need part of the time. The Holy Spirit will satisfy all of your need every time. And an emotional experience is just part of the time. It leaves you partially satisfied part of the time. The Holy Spirit will leave you completely satisfied every time. It's like leaving a restaurant, right? You ever go to a restaurant, and you're like, man, that was super bomb food, but the portion was really small, so you leave, and you're like, oh, man, that was good, and I paid 20 bucks for it, so I'm not going to complain, but I'm still a little hungry. (laughs) And then there's sometimes you go to a restaurant, right, and you eat, and it's just the best experience. Eat, it was great tasting, it was huge portions, you leave, you're just completely satisfied. A lot of times it's like that with the Holy Spirit. And you can come in and you can have an emotional experience and you can feel great for a little bit and you can kind of feel like, oh man, that was cool, but it just doesn't really satisfy that deep need in the soul, that deep need in your spirit. It satisfies you part of the time and only part of your need. And often you leave, and, you know, after a while, it's like that fades. But man, when it's a genuine move of the Holy Spirit in your life, when it is a genuine work of God, it leaves you completely satisfied every time. Completely satisfied. Every time. Look at the imagery that the Bible uses to talk about what it's like to be filled with the spirit. And it uses words like baptism, which is what? Which is being fully just dunked in the water. It uses words like filled with the spirit. It uses words like John chapter 7, verse 38, where Jesus said, He who believes in me, as the scriptures have says, out of his heart flows of living water, literally not just little streams, picture Multnomah Falls right after like a huge just winter where there's just rain, and it's just, and you look like you're going to get, you know, taken. <laughs> I remember when we first came up here, we went to Multnomah Falls, and we were like, oh man, this is so amazing. I know. What? Uh, why? Oh, yeah. Multnomah, okay. So, <coughs> I know I struggle to say it, I struggle to say it. Ruth's protege, corrected me, I'll be sure to let Ruth know, she's, she's going to be proud of me. <laughs> I can, da- oh man, I can still picture her right now too, Multnomah. Maltin- Multnomah. Right? So, but when we first came, we went to the falls, (laughs) and it was, and we thought we were like, "Oh my gosh, it's so beautiful!" And then someone told us, "Like, no, this isn't a drought." Yeah, and sure enough, when I went back, it was right after like we had kind of gotten rain. It was a couple months ago when I first went back, and it was just booming. And see when Jesus says he says out of his heart he who believes in me as the scripture said out of his heart flows rivers of living water he's not talking about he's not talking about the falls during the drought <laughs> he's talking about the falls right after peak rain season where it's just booming see when we talk about the holy spirit and really a genuine move of the holy spirit in your life we're not talking about just an experience that satisfies you partially part of the time. We're talking about something like this. Now being filled with the Spirit. Now out of your heart flowing rivers of living water, torrents of living water. And being just immersed in the Spirit. Now being filled to overflowing. Being filled to overflowing And this can be in many different cases, you guys. This can be just the way that God moves in a church service. Uh, Really seeing the Holy Spirit work in your life in a service. Man, seeing the Holy Spirit move in a group or in a church. I think that even what they're doing here, it can model really waiting to see God move in your life. And sometimes we want to see God move do something. We want to see God move. We want to see God fulfill a promise. We want to see God answer prayer. We want to see him move. And I think they do such a good job, the apostles here, of modeling what that looks like. And listen, what opens the door for the Holy Spirit to move? When you come to a church service, man, when you are at home, when you're praying in your personal life for God to move, when you're going through a season where you're like God, I don't know what you're doing, but I know what you've promised, and I want you to fulfill your promises. I want you to move, just like what we talked about last week, where there's sometimes where God doesn't want you to do anything except pray and wait for Him to move, for Him to fulfill, for Him to work. And what opens the door for the Holy Spirit to move? I think there's a couple of things. There's anticipation. Now, the disciples were here, and there was anticipation there. They weren't just hoping God would pour out his spirit. They were believing 110% that God was going to fulfill his promise. Listen, believing is essential to receiving. It is essential. Now, many times we lose hope, we stop believing, we stop having faith. That God is going to do it. And what happens? We miss out. And they had anticipation. They were believing God said go and wait. The Holy Spirit's going to come not many days from now. And they were like okay Lord we're going to go. We're going to wait. They were anticipating God to move. And I think sometimes we can pray. And we can ask God to do those things in our life. That we want to see. But then we act like he's not going to do them. We don't anticipate them. And I think it's so important that when we pray and when we ask God to do things, to listen, not just ask God to do things and then forget about it, but ask God to do things, trust in his word and what he says, man, and then act like it. Get ready for it. Elijah prayed for rain, and then what did he say? He said, hey, he said, you guys better get going because the storm's coming. There needs to be that. It's so, so, so important. Not only that, but there was patience. And they were willing to wait. And Jesus said, go and wait. What did they do? They went. They waited in the upper room. They were waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. They had never seen what the Holy Spirit was going to come, what, what it was going to look like. They had no idea. All they knew was the Holy Spirit's coming and we're going to receive power. But they were willing to wait. There was patience there. There was patience. I think sometimes we miss the move of God's spirit because of impatience. Now we miss seeing God move in our lives because we get impatient. Sometimes God is getting ready to open a door and we take matters into our own hands and we miss it. Sometimes we don't wait for God to speak because he didn't speak in our timetable. We're like, God, I prayed, I asked you to speak, you didn't speak, so I'm going to do what I was going to do anyway. A lot of times we get impatient and we miss what God wants to do. And do you want to see God move in your life or do you not? And do you really want to see him move in your life? want to see him work in your life? Do you really want to see him open doors? Do you really want to hear him speak to you? Because I promise you, he will. But are you willing to wait? Just like the disciples. And they were willing to wait for what God was wanting to do. They wanted to wait for him to move. I think another thing is I think we have to have no expectations. Notice what happens. It, 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 as they were... In this room, notice it says, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were doing what? Where they were waving flags? It filled the whole house while they were standing and jumping up and down? Mm -hmm. It filled the whole house where they were doing what? They were just sitting. Verse 2, it says they were sin You know, they had no expectations. I think sometimes we can come to God and we have all of these expectations. We have all of these expectations We're like, well, you know, when God moves, it's going to look like this. You know, the promise that God gave me when he fulfills it, it's going to look like this. We have all these expectations and what we think it's going to look like and Here the disciples, they didn't have any expectations. They weren't like, okay, in about five minutes, we're going to have these little tongues of fire come over our heads and we're going to start speaking in tongues. It was none of that. They had no expectations. They were sitting, probably relaxing. I imagine praying, probably talking, just waiting. No expectations, no idea of what it was going to look like. Listen, I think we need to be careful not to put expectations on certain things. Because God often moves in ways that are different than how you thought. Now, there's promises that I looked at in my life, and I was like, God, I was like, you're going to fulfill this promise in this way. And looking back, God fulfilled those promises, but it looked way different than what I thought it was going to look like. Now, the best thing we can do if you want to see God work in your life is to abandon your expectations. And toss them to the side, abandon them. Any expectations you have of God, you're going to do this, you're going to do this, you're going to do that. Just abandon them and just simply wait with expectation for God to move. I don't know what it's going to look like, Lord, but you move. And I love it so much because it says there that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit moved. And they were waiting, there was anticipation, the Holy Spirit moved powerfully. And then in verse 5 it says, And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and when the sound occurred, the multitude came together, and they were confused, because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? How is it that we hear, each in our own language in which we were born, Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia." Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? And then others mocking said, They are full of new wine. Listen, they were speaking, and while they were praying and waiting for God to move, what happened? The Holy Spirit came. There was like these tongues of fire that appeared over their heads. And we don't really know what this looks like. I can't even really begin to imagine what this looks like. But then they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And it's interesting because the tongues they began to speak with, they were tongues that other people understood in their own language. And it was the wonderful works of God. And then it says, Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, men of Judea, and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day, but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams and on my maid servants and on my ma- men servants i will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy i will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath blood and vapor and smoke the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the lord and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the lord Will be saved. You see that Peter preaches, and I think this is important to understand, is that the Holy Spirit, listen, the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. The Holy Spirit didn't come to promote himself, he came to promote Christ. And there was this powerful experience, but what happened? Peter goes, and the experience wasn't the end, the experience wasn't the goal. Peter goes, and what does Peter end up doing? Peter ends up turning it into a sermon. He ends up preaching Christ. The Holy Spirit came to glorify Jesus. I think often we make things about the experience instead of about Jesus. And experiences will happen. I'm just going to leave you guys with this. Experiences will happen. The Holy Spirit wants to move in powerful ways in your life. God gave us the Holy Spirit. Listen, God gave us the Holy Spirit for you. To be led, to be empowered, to be helped, to be sealed. But the Holy Spirit is also here to promote Jesus. He's here to draw people to him, to convict the world of sin. See, it's not about the experience, it's about Jesus. And everything points back to Jesus. Let's go ahead and pray. Father God, I come before you Lord and I just pray. Pray for us now, Lord. I pray that you would fill us afresh with your spirit. Pray that you would just baptize us with your spirit, Lord.